This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Count Paul. Hi, I'm Lord Jim. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lady Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Well, I'm sitting here in my straight waistcoat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, that's because I've been overdosing on Dracula's blood. Uh, I listen, just finished the audiobook. Yes, Julie, I did read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ordered the uh, Leslie S. Klinger uh, annotated book. I had another annotated book. Oh, he's I have, good. I have uh, just a regular version with a special introduction by some person. And then uh, I watched uh, Dracula 1931, which I'd never seen before. And it's terrific. Is that Bella Lugosi? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. It's yeah. really good. He's really good in it. I can see why he's sort of... Uh, didn't have anything else going after that, really. I mean, in comparison, because you can't top that. He he was terrific in that. And uh, then, for some reason, I thought the horror of Dracula was fairly faithful to the novel. Uh, the I'd seen it before, the Hammer horror with Lee mm-hmm. um, oh. mm-hmm. Lee and Cushing, and um, it's not that faithful, but it is still <laughs> excellent and great to watch. Um, then I watched the. 1977 BBC miniseries, which is a, just a two-part sort of, I don't know, three-hour movie uh, called Count Dracula or just Dracula, and that's actually really good. Um, is it faithful? Uh, it is. Just it, it is very, very faithful um, oh, in a lot of ways. It's probably the one of the most faithful ones. Um, I uh, I think the 1973 one is the. Jack Palance one. <laughs> yes. Scripted by Richard Matheson. Right. Does he do one-armed push-ups? Um, because if he doesn't, I is it really Jack Palance? I don't remember any one-armed push-ups, but I, I'm not sure I got through that one because um, I was I was that was near the end of my overdosing. Um, uh. So I switched to um, the, the 1979, I want to say, Frank Langella version. And the movie's not very good, but he's terrific as... as mm. uh, Dracula, he's really terrific. And the movie looks really good, but there's lots of problems with it. Um, And then there's the 1992 movie, which I didn't watch because I'd seen it before, the one with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, Dracula, cool castle. (laughs) You know, it's super faithful, right, in many respects. And um, so uh, thinking about that one, I decided to go with... um, Dracula dead and loving it <laughs> instead. <laughs> okay. Uh, 1995, um, Mel Brooks's last directorial movie. Oh. And everybody hates that movie, apparently, on the internet. They love Young Frankenstein. Uh, I yeah. I don't hate it at all. I think dead and loving it's hilarious. Um, I see, for me, the, the, the quality Dracula pastiche is Love at First Bite with George Hamilton. Yes, yes. I was just going to bring that up. Mm, I yeah. do like that one. I did not rewatch that because I, I think that that one's even less faithful uh, oh, of course. than Dracula mm. Dead and Loving, which is incredibly <laughs> faithful in many respects. It's more faithful than a lot of the actual adaptations. Um, Interesting. Then uh, I did Audio Drama, The Big Finish. Uh, Mr. Jim Moon, did you hear this one? The... <sighs> 
four hours. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've only part way through it and really enjoying it so it's far. It's very good. Mm. It's, um, Big Finish is an audio drama company in the UK that uh, does straight to CD audio dramas, and their four hour version, uh, I think, starring Mark Gaddis um, as Dracula, I think, or, and maybe Van Helsing, I can't remember now, um, is, is very faithful and very well done. Um, and yeah, so that's a, a very good adaptation. Then I went through all of Marvel's Tomb of Dracula, and uh, <laughs> oh, there's a lot of those, and mostly not related to the novel. But uh, yeah, I totally overdosed on Dracula. Did, I, it, it's you, impossible yeah. to um, avoid how big a deal Dracula is. I mean, I thought Frankenstein was a big deal with a lot of adaptations, and and um, and Hound of the Baskervilles, you know, with a lot of adaptations. But I think Dracula's factors more. I haven't heard you mention the Twilight series, which, you know, <laughs> totally unfaithful, but it shows the reach of the story and how it can be used by all these different people. Well, I would I would say I also didn't rewatch Life Force, which I think is about a million times more <laughs> more um, faithful to Dracula than any other uh, sort of stray effort by modern folks. How about the Mercury Theater on the Air done by Orson Welles? Did you uh, I did that? listen to that. That that was a few weeks ago though. Um, that was uh, that was okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the Elton Hound of Dracula. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. So, Julie, you only did Carpe Jugulum, you said? Other than well, Dracula? that's only because I've read it about five times already because I love it. And so after I read Dracula, I went ahead and reread that. Yeah. That's and a it's, pretty good title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seize, instead of uh, Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, this is Carpe Jugulum, Seize the Throat. Yep. It's yeah, just it's Terry Pratchett, you know. So, um, And it's, it's really such a brilliant use of the story because it's it's the whole very popular now modern vampire family. The father's very carefully trained everyone to not flinch when he throws holy water on them because it's just a symbol and all this stuff. And so the whole book is hilarious, but it all is looking at religion and symbols and what does it mean. And But you're just laughing so hard the whole time. So it's great. Paul, did you... Uh venture outside of the uh, the book I did um, I I rewatched the um, the 1992 movie don't judge me because <laughs> because it's just funny it's faithful right it's, it's, fa- faithful. it's faithful well it's faithful but also adds that reincarnation romance mm. thing mm-hmm. which is not really yeah I, it, it's a weird invention it's, uh, it's it, not that's not original with that though the Langella do, does that as well yeah, it's, it's even subtitled a romance. I think who's reincarnated, Lucy, yeah, Mina, Mina, Mina. Okay, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Mina's That's breaking my heart even more. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mina is the reincarnation of uh, oh. Dracula's wife, basically. Mm. Sure, she doesn't get any credit on her own for being the amazing lady she is. Fine. No, yeah, I know. It's it's like why what why do we need why do we need this this reincarnation? Oh, and I also uh, was. I was it was part of my it's part of my Charles Strauss read through anyway. I was I listened to the Nightmare Stacks, which is the last public the currently last published uh, Atrocity Archives Laundry Files novel, which has a has a vampire as the main character 
in the in the first couple chapters, he's trying to escape his duties by visiting the seaside town of Whitby, and he runs into uh, some cosplayers practicing Dracula, one of whom is secretly actually an alien elven princess, which is... <laughs> and there are tons of Dracula jokes and references throughout the novel because, well, the main character is a... is I mean, he's a... He's a, he's a troll stress vampire, which means his vampire powers come from an, basically an alien parasite that he has in him. But he is still, I mean, he goes in daylight, he will die. And he does need blood, but he needs blood because the parasite wants blood to go to other hosts. So that's why he really needs blood, not to feed. Uh, so, the, so the parasite the scientific. won't him. Yeah, yeah, fantasy yeah. science sort of thing. Right. So. And I also, because for another podcast, also watched Queen of the Damned. So what, what does that have to do with your, like, I, I, I've heard of it. I, I didn't read past the first Lestat or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah Queen, Queen of the Damned is the second or third of, the, of these movies. Um, it involves Lestat deciding to be, waking up in the late 20th century and deciding to become a rock star. There's also there's his there's his sire who's upset at this, and there's also Akasha played by the late Aaliyah, who's apparently the second vampire ever who wakes up and decides I'm going to rule the world on a mountain of corpses. Come and come and stop me, and wants Lestat as her boy toy king. Hmm. So uh, I'm pretty sure this is true. Dracula is either not mentioned or uh, not important to. Any of Anne Rice's stuff, right? Right. Is, well, 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 I, I, I am not. I mean, I've only seen a couple of movies. I don't think Dracula appears at all. Yeah, I, I don't remember even a mention in in the book. Uh, Mr. Jim, do you know? Um, not to my knowledge. I think Dracula's only ever mentioned as um, a fictional figure. Mm. Mm. If I remember rightly, in the, in in the first one, interview with a vampire. I'm thinking he's yeah. not like Dracula. There's some throwaway line like that, but oh. that's about it, I think. He he really. <clears throat> I mean, it's funny. Like d in terms of dominating uh, vampires, he really dominates sort of the the mind of of people. And oh, one of the reasons I do do that overdosing on uh, on adaptations is because mm -hmm. um, it allows me to see the book. Uh, from other directions and see why choices are being made um, mm -hmm. in the novel, not just in the in the movies. So when people make a choice to collapse characters together or change the sequence or uh, eliminate a character and give part of their storyline to some other character, it allows me to see uh, the novel in uh, sort of a, a different light. And then... I, I it's I find it very illuminating. Um, it can be confusing as well, though. So uh, I, I want to start with maybe my the character I'm most interested in, and maybe you each have a character you're most interested in. Um, obviously, most people would probably be interested in Dracula, um, since that's the name of the book, and he never actually gets his own. I, I, I was thinking there should be Dracula's Diary, you know, um, his version of the story. Um, Fred Savage in the Dracula tapes. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> Does he tell um, the adventure uh, as he sees it? Basically, yeah. And there's also a sequel to that called The Holmes Dracula File, where you have Sherlock Holmes meeting Dracula, chapters alternatingly narrated by Watson and by Dracula. Hmm. 
Interesting. Hmm. So, yeah, it's obviously I'm not the only one to have thought of that. And yeah. um, so my the guy I'm sort of focused on, like, he's a really interesting character, is Renfield. Um, and I'm not sure why he's in the book, and that's why he he's so interesting. So I, I was talking with Eric uh-huh. uh, Rabkin this week for the other podcast I do, mm-hmm. and um, I mentioned we're going to be doing Dracula. And um, and one of the things that came up was um, his name, um, Harker. Uh, oh, no, not Harker. Ren- Renfield. Is, I was saying Renfield and Harker are kind of parallel characters in many respects. Um, and, and I understood Harker as a certain kind of character, but I also thought Renfield was kind of like a mirror to him. Uh, How and, so? Well, okay, so just one sentence, and, I mean, or whatever. Uh, yeah, no, I can do it. Um, so <laughs> here's here's the what I was thinking. What what happens when we first meet uh, Harker in Dracula's castle, or Dracula meets him in in his castle, is uh, Dracula basically locks him in the castle, and then says, "Here, uh, eat this bird, uh, this chicken I prepared for you." Oh, sorry, my servants have prepared. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and then they, they talk for hours and hours. Dracula does not partake. Um, and then, uh, Jonathan Harker gets a little bit upset and Um. Dracula forces him slash, uh, argues to him that he should write letters. Uh, and then Dracula takes the letters, uh, from, you know, his sources and basically says, I've read all your letters. Uh, Exact same thing happens to Renfield. Mm-hmm. Um, he is observed eating. Uh, everybody else thinks he, the food he's eating, especially uh, the doctor, Seward, thinks he's um, disgusting. <laughs> and he goes through his letters. Um, and uh, he gaslights him in the same way. Well, it could be seen as gaslighting him in the same way that Dracula does. And then uh, they both try and escape. Um, and and I don't know why Renfield is the way he is. If, like, uh, f- for a while I had a theory that, that the first chapter, the deleted first chapter of Dracula's Guest, was not Harker's everybody always points to, even in the Leslie Klinger book. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather it was Renfield. Because he's never mentioned who he is, right? Uh, it never mentions who that character is in the actual uh, short story, Dracula's Guest. It does. There are there is evidence that it's supposed to be Harker in the text of Dracula. So okay, I, I I'll abandon that. But here's the question I have: What contact did did Renfield have with Dracula at one point? So in different versions of the story, different adaptations of the story, people do things like um, they send Har- uh, they send Renfield to, and they just get rid of Harker altogether. Or they keep Harker, but he doesn't actually go to Dracula's castle. And when he comes back, he comes on the ship. That's in the first Dracula movie, right? Or the 1931 one. It's Renfield on the ship with Dracula, and he ends up in the insane asylum. But in the novel, Renfield's in the insane asylum at the beginning. Yes, he is. And, I, I, and this this goes this is to strange. this this goes to my 
I can now explain, thanks to uh, another piece of uh, Dracula stuff I didn't mention until now, I can explain to you all <laughs> what Dracula really is and what's really going on. Please do. Okay, so I will start this with a Socratic question. Why is Dracula suddenly interested in going to England in the 1890s? Very good question. Mm-hmm. We don't see in the novel anywhere why he suddenly decided to do this. He has a nice, if kind of isolated, lonely life with his brides in Transylvania. Doesn't seem to be any reason why he decided to... Well, Van Helsing tells us why. That, that he wanted to start an empire? It doesn't, it doesn't wash. Because he suddenly developed, his brain has been very slowly developing. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's not. Uh, and he's finally evil. developing into what he should be, or you know what he would be. He's evolving, and so therefore, it's time for him to go to the center of the world, which yeah. in this book is England. It's a, it's a, it's a really nice. It's one of the things that's really downplayed in almost every adaptation is that 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 speech that. Uh, one of many speeches that well, Van Helsing gives, well, right? Well, yeah, the anyway, whole yeah, Paul, go ahead. yeah the, the whole childish uh, Dracula thing. I I didn't like that. I mean, I saw that. I kept kept seeing Helsing say that again and again. Oh, he's really a child. He's not intelligent. That kind of downplays Dracula in my book. But anyway, the true story of Dracula, as told by Kenneth Height, is this: in the 1890s, MI5 decided to recruit oh, a vampire Lord. as an asset. <laughs> what Dracula the novel is is a redacted after action report of British intelligence's attempt to try to bring <laughs> Dracula to England as an agent. It goes, of course, completely wrong because he's bloody Dracula. And well, that's that's I mean, I mean, the, who is actually an agent? Who's actually a pawn? You'd have to read the unredacted Dracula <laughs> files to actually figure this out. And even then, it's not entirely certain about what, what the actual motivation is. In, in, in the role-playing setting, it turns out that Dracula is contacted several other times later in history by British intelligence to try to, try to stop the Nazis. That doesn't work. Try to root out Dracula's corruption. That doesn't work. And in the modern sense, well... Dracula fought the Turks, right? Mm-hmm. Dracula would be great on the war on terror, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, bad, okay. Bad plan. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so that's what's really going on. Dracula really was invited to England. Um, well, there's a number of holes in this theory. You know, number one is uh, uh, the... <laughs> what would become MI5 doesn't exist at that point. In the, I mean, you can say, oh, well, it was secret back then or whatever. The great game. Um, yeah. yeah. Th- there were certainly spies. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I forgot. I like it. I like it. But um, I, I think that I think I like I like a lot of what Van Helsing says. And one of the th- reasons I like it is because of uh, Mr. Jim Moon. I know you've talked about this because I watched it because of your podcast i think it's the second hammer horror with lee um um christopher lee as dracula where they've already killed dracula in the first movie right and he comes back to life in the second one and he has no speech he's like just a monster he just goes (laughs) and sucks people's blood right He, he he's uh wordless um and so that fits with the idea of yeah that once you go vampire um you're a feral beast right and then it takes your growth is sort of stunted and and yeah he's 
he feels like he's a backwater um uh, he's in this backwater country if he goes to london the center of the world which arguably it was right at the time mm-hmm. um it may that there's a lot of logic to that i think i'd like to just go back to renfield for a minute yes please um now i have to admit that um about at least half of what I think about Dracula is heavily informed by Mythgard Academy, Corey Olson's Mm -hmm. 12 part class, which goes into a lot of the movies. So I didn't listen to those parts because I just don't care about those movies. Sorry. But um, he points out, and for me, I also always had a problem with Renfield. You make an interesting point about the parallel of their situation, his situation with Jonathan Harker, which I had never thought of, but he just says, um, he points out that he's like a DIY on eternal life, which Renfield yeah. himself points out later. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. And his point of view um, or the thing he kind of brought up of why he's sensitive to Count Dracula when he's never met him and all this stuff is he says what's pointed out with Lucy is that there are some people who are just more sensitive in general. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones the Count can reach. And that's why Lucy is more sensitive when she always picks the the bench that's across from the suicide's grave. And she's the one who, who gets called. And Mina, mm. although she's in the same circumstances, is never called. And he says he thinks, uh, or his theory, what he brought up, was that because some people are just more sensitive and Renfield was already intensely interested in how do I get eternal life, he was just more open to the Count. Mm. And therefore, that's why he's showing up at the door going, let me in, master. I'll do whatever you want as long as you mm-hmm. give me eternal life. And Seward's going, oh, yeah, right. Uh, please feed the masses as long as I get the bread I want, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but the count's not answering him. He doesn't want to use him until the end. And so, see, this is a sensitive person who is beseeching the count. And the count's like, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Go away. Yeah. And so I thought that was a kind of an interesting reason for showing Renfield at all, because the parallel I could see between him and Jonathan Harker is both of them are used to open up a facet of Dracula. Of course, Jonathan explains Dracula to us at all from a complete outsider's superior modern man's point of view, who rapidly has to descend to here's supernatural reality. Damn. And then, um, you know, Renfield is showing us, here's even the reason Dracula would become who he was. He doesn't want to rule others the way Dracula felt immediately superior anyway, Mm -hmm. but he's showing here the, all the other methods because the blood is the life. And so I just thought it was interesting to uh, look at that Renfield that way. What what I found interesting about Renfield in reading, in reading this this time, I'd read Dracula a couple times before, but I had not remembered that, we have we, we have Renfield in the insane asylum. Renfield going, go, go, Renfield crazy with this with this connection of Dracula. And then for a little while before he dies, Renfield's part of the Scooby Gang, trying yep. to help fight Dracula. He's he's trying very to shake briefly, off yeah yeah very mm-hmm. briefly. He's trying to shake off the influence. He's trying to do good. He's trying to help against Dracula. I mean, he gets killed off before he can do anything. But I completely blocked out. I don't even think you really even see it in the movie versions of Renfield as trying to atone and trying to work against this influence that's been put upon him all this time. Mm-hmm. Because he's met Mina. Because he's yeah. met Mina. So that that's the other yep. really interesting parallel is that he is also Mina in a certain sense that he's Harker. He's also Mina. Um, and, I 
I want I, I want to get to that. Um, but uh, before before uh, before we go too far, and I want to get Mr. Jim Moon in on this too because uh, I'm fascinated to hear what he'll say. But um, I, I want to point out something really strange and uh, interesting. So it seems like the filmmakers, the ad- adapters, don't know what to do with Renfield either, right? They they like him. They like having him in the movie. Um, they like having him in the story. They love having him, in fact. It, he's one of the few characters that never gets deleted, pretty much. Um, and I think the reason is, is is he does play a really important sort of role in the novel, and yet we can't quite figure out, put our fingers on it. But um, the uh, very interestingly, the um, Big Finish audio drama, Mm-hmm. It, it does. It's it's pretty darn faithful, but it does. It takes some liberties that uh, it, not very often. But the liberties it takes are with Renfield and uh, offering some stuff that's not in the book. And I was thinking that's really weird. I wonder why they put that in there. And then uh, is that just because we're so modern? So uh, what they do mm-hmm. is they give a, give him a backstory. A little bit. At one point, he says, "I was a policeman," <gasps> right? And that's interesting. And then they say, um, uh, "In Whitechapel." <laughs> I'm oh, like, oh, right. Okay. So uh, he he saw a little too much blood, or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? Stop. Um, and then, <laughs> not just to make it a little little weirder, there's this sense, uh, and I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's in the script that they actually said explicitly mm-hmm. that he is transgender and i'm like that's weird i didn't get that from the book but then i was thinking about it dracula he's kind of he likes sucking on the women not on the men notice that uh we don't get a lot of male male on male action um in this and when dracula attacks um Renfield for betraying him or whatever when he has his you know, right. uh, mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't suck his blood he breaks him <laughs> he sure does yeah right? horribly he breaks him and and that is very weird why does he do that instead of instead of I mean if if it isn't just all about sex if it's about you know blood and stuff uh, you know, getting your meal on because I mean, uh, part of the fun part of the book is that, yeah, you do sort of see him uh, get more vitality when he's got lots of blood in him, right? When he's he's getting four meals, four meals every night or whatever. When the blood almost, is the life, right? The so he becomes a lot healthier. So uh, I'm not sure what what to make of that, other than it's it's a very interesting. Um, sort of another reading on what Renfield's doing there. So, uh, with that all said, Mr. Jim Moon, what's the real story on Renfield? I assume you've read this novel many times because this is my first time reading it. Well, so having read a lot of critical stuff over the years, mm-hmm. the um, certainly when I was growing up in the seventies uh, and eighties, if you read books about the novel Dracula, um, a line a lot of uh, scholars took was that Renfield is essentially a John the Baptist character. Hmm. He is yeah, there to so announce biblical stuff. <clears throat> yeah, he is there to announce the coming. He's the heart uh, of the heart. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and it is interesting because here, I mean, with Renfield, you get vampirism stripped down to its essence. The idea he, he'll take, he begins taking the lives of flies, then spiders, then he wants to go to mice and birds and move Cats. his way up the up the up the food chain. Um, but kind of my own view is kind of digging so into the novel is and something that you kind of lose in all but a couple of the Hammer movies. Uh, is the idea that Dracula is a satanic figure. Mm. Yeah, Generally, right? him just being a vampire is enough. But when you read the novel, uh, you get a very clear idea that this isn't just any old vampire. This is right. a most ancient vampire. And what most people don't know, you do get the secret origin of Dracula in the original novel. It's in chapter 18. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when you know Van Helsing says, you know, he is the same as the you know, Voivoid Dracula mentioned who fought against the Turks, and his family have had many dealings with the evil one. And he mentioned the legend of the Scholomance, this uh, evil Hogwarts, basically. <laughs> yeah. where the devil takes a class of uh, ten <laughs> students, and the tenth is claimed as his own agent. And the implication is, is Dracula is the tenth student of mm. the devil. And he's therefore, you know, the devil's tool upon earth. And this is, you know, why kind of, you know, Dracula, when he moves to England, one of his, you know, prime lairs is Carfax Abbey. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 you know, a former, uh, a former church, right? Deconsecrated. Yep, well, it's got a yeah, chapel. Mm, there's the idea of, you know, deconsecrating somewhere, and that is where the evil's going to spread out from. And I think that's that's a very, so you know, interesting kind of aspect of. Dracula. The fact is that, you know, um, I mean, later critics, Kim Newman's very big on this, the idea that Dracula is part of invasion literature. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. It's about, you know, the fall of the British Empire from from agents from without, which was a popular, you know, sub-genre, which, you know, leads later on after Dracula to a whole slew of what if the Germans won for World War One, what if they won <laughs> World War Two, um, And it's not just fit into that, you know, uh, that sort of genre that started with, I believe, the, one of the early ones is the Battle of Dorking in the 1870s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was huge back then, right? Mm, so yeah. this this is an invasion, but it's not. It's a it's a more subtle invasion. In fact, that that uh, the, there's a tie to another theory I was sporting through through the reading of this is um, really interesting, uh, and I presume everybody at the time would have been even more up on it than we are today, which is um, that uh, Lucy is Helen of Troy in a certain sense. Um, She's this beautiful uh, girl who represents all good Englishness, right? And she has suitors, multiple suitors, who represent different classes and kinds of Englishness, including an American, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, even um, our uh, our cousins across on the continent, right, with uh, Van Helsing sort of representing a kind of uh, suitor as well. Um, and after she is, her marriage or almost marriage, as you point out, Julie, they don't actually get married, Um their almost marriage is threatened. Um, all the former suitors come together in an attack against the city of Troy, right? Well, 
So this doesn't go that deep, this theory. Um, but it's it's I think it it kind of is interesting because uh, everybody who meets her loves her, right? And then her name. Uh, I always thought it was Westerna, but it's not. It's Westenra, right? Mm, and right. Lucy Westenra. And I'm not <clears throat> sure 100% why it's Lucy Westenra, but it sounds uh, like the West, and it sounds like light, light of the West sort of thing. So there, I think there's something to it. Well, At least in it, 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 even if it's a coincidence, it seems to – this book really resonated with people. West versus East? Yeah, absolutely. And and the stealing and breaking of a marriage, right? Right, because it's what Jim Moon was pointing out when he was talking about um, how satanic Dracula is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole story is good versus evil. If yep. Lucy is all good and she's therefore attracting all these people to her because they love her for her purity and her goodness and who she is and everything, um, of course, they band together to protect her. They band together to protect, you know, to save her essentially from the evil that she could become ultimately. And I mean, because the whole book, you know, that interesting comment about John the Baptist, I hadn't thought of, and I'm not, I would have to think about that more. But the whole point, <laughs> the way the story is told, you can't ignore the religion. It's everywhere oh, in it. Yeah. And Dracula, and the thing about Dracula is he is a perversion of of Christ and of everything that Christ was. And so the blood is the life. Christ gave his body and his blood so that his followers could eat it and have eternal life. He does it out of, you know, a good motivation. He loves them. Dracula, of course, is the opposite. He eats his followers. He sucks their blood so that he can live together. And he also forces people to drink his blood. Right. And he forces, and when he does that, yeah, he forces people to drink his blood. And that's a perversion of, you know, feeding and eating and everything too. And it's why Lucy was choosing children is a perversion of motherhood, all that kind of thing when she was feeding. And so what you have is this deliberate, in a sense, the huge theme. And I think this is maybe why so many people can go in so many different directions is we can all recognize it's inherent selfishness versus it's inherent unselfishness. Love is unselfish and love of yourself is selfish. And in fact, Seward talks about that when he's talking about Renfield, which is kind of what makes the mm-hmm. um, the John the Baptist analogy interesting is um, because he says, he's talking about Renfield, and he's saying, um, because he's got a sanguine temperament, you know. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and he says, I presume that the sanguine temperament in it, itself and the disturbing influence end in a mentally accomplished finish, a possibly dangerous man, possibly dangerous if unselfish. In selfish men, caution is as secure an armor for their foes as mm-hmm. for themselves. Mm-hmm. What I think of on on this point is when self is the fixed point, the cent- centripetal, Force is balanced with the centrifugal, so the in versus the out. When duty, a cause, etc., is the fixed point, the latter force is paramount, and only accident or a series of accidents can balance it. And and of course, what you see is, as they go further and further to the end of the book, Mina starts pointing this out. You start seeing it everywhere when they're banding together to rid the world for her sake, because she's the immediate one they can see in the midst of them, but also for the sake of the world. They're having to become less and less and less selfish, more and more unselfish. 
And he is the exact opposite. He is sacrificing everyone and everything in his path. And so that's, we all can recognize that however we want to interpret it through the MI5, you know, (laughs) fighting off enemies through Helen of Troy, through religion, through which is very explicit in the book, through all these other things, it resonates with humanity that way. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, there's a, uh, uh, there is a little bit more to this uh, Greek, uh, sort of theory, um, other than the fact that Bram Stoker, you know, uh, worked at the Lyceum, which is a Greek revival, Roman revival building, you know, in a, in a country that built itself up in the image of those, you know, ancient civilizations, the building itself looks like a Greek temple, right? Um, still around, um, the, the other thing that's going on in this novel that is very Greek and Roman, especially Greek though, is an ancient Greek and even the Iliad and the Odyssey Greek, is the guest-host relationship, right? So we get it famously in all the movie adaptations whenever anybody goes into Dracula's house. <laughs> yep. uh, enter of your own free will! And, and then he has you know a few associated um, phrases that are about you know freely enter leave um uh some of maybe it's leave some of your your happiness or something here something like that right yeah um well, and and then of course dracula's uh, famous he has to be invited into your house but once he's in uh, man right you're in for trouble so if you go to dracula's house you he locks you in right um, which is not what a good guest should do. He's a monster in that sense, right? He's like uh, the Cyclops in oh, yeah. uh, Polyphemus uh, in um, the Odyssey, right? He locks you in and then starts eating you. Um, the the relationship between guests and hosts, right? Once you go into Lucy Westerner's, uh, um, I don't know, rooms, right? Um, there's a lot of it's almost like a French farce with all the men going in and out of the her bedroom, <laughs> and that is um, uh, the, I, I want to get into that as well. But uh, the, the I think that's a really strong theme, like the the theme of what's the relationship between you know going into like one of the things that they obsess over to a, like a large degree that I think is funny is and it's never covered in any of the adaptations is how housebreaking is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they're always you know, like, well, "Here's how you can get in." Yeah, and you know, I, I've, I've got, a, I'm a lord, so when we're, we've, we hire the guy, he won't ask any questions, and if the cops are coming, you guys are smoking cigarettes or cigars across the street. Okay, <laughs> we're all good. Nobody's gonna get in trouble, and even if we do get in trouble, you know, like they're really covering their asses. But then when they go to um, to Romania or wherever. Um, uh, it's like no, we're just knocking down doors. He even breaks the uh, Helsing breaks the um, hinges off the door so nobody can be locked in, right? Like Harker. So no there is this. There. Sorry. No police there to catch you. Uh, well, uh, there are the Rome, uh, the Romi or whatever. Oh, they're uh, Romani. They're on what his. They they're on Dracula's side. The they're not police. Yeah. So I, I, I Paul, um, does he talk? Does Dracula talk about the gypsies at all? Because I, th- I think it's very interesting. They, they, they just end up sort of being bad guys, right? They do. There's they, no they, they, story and, and, backing up why they would want to do that. Um, they, 
not actually within the novel per se. It's just a matter of they're aligning with his power, power, and with his, or they're afraid of him. I it mean, I say right. It does. does yeah. It's not explicit. It's no explicitly said that the gypsies, uh, what, why the gypsies have this relationship with him. Um, now, now I'm thinking of another piece of property we haven't mentioned. Here we go back role playing game. Um, back in the '80s, there was a Dungeons and Dragons module called the Curse of Strahd. No, it's Ravenloft. Raven, well, yeah, well, well, Curse, well, Ravenloft is the name of the overall thing. The Curse of Strahd is the actual name of the module, but Ravenloft, oh. yes, okay. Ra- Ra- Ravenloft for the listeners don't know is basically this fictional D and D country where is ruled by a Dracula-like figure who is tormented by the love of his past, and the adventurers come in and basically have to deal with Count Dracula. The the gypsies in that novel are opposed to Dracula, although I believe there's at least one or two traitors within. But in general, in most of the movie adaptations, the gypsies are generally neutral or they're afraid of Dracula, and so they're kind of... They're basically working because he's the local power in the region rather than any sort of satanic thing on their part as uh, Jim... As Jim mentioned with uh, Dracula's power, the, the gypsies are just very, I mean, he's he's like the lo- he's the local lord, so of course the gypsies have to uh, treat with right. him. Right. I think there is something to that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you're just you know, gypsies are not well liked. Um, if you let gypsies stay on your land, they owe you. Um, well, the and, book says that they align themselves with the local lord or baron. Right. Right. Oh, and so there we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's early on when he's explaining what are the Romani. This is exotic. Yeah, because um, that's also, another thing that I. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, that, like tied into with this guest host relationship. I think uh, like Harker's um, description of the people in the countryside there. Uh, it's it's supposed to be a Romania, a Transylvania area, right? Carpathians, yeah. um, <laughs> the Borka Pass, right? All the people there are really. Uh, he makes kind of pains to show how well, not Harker, but. Uh, Stoker makes pains to show how kindly they are, um, even though you know they're they give Lucy the uh, the, the two fingered salute <laughs> when <laughs> she comes by. She's got that mark on her forehead. They're Mina. Uh, I, I Mina, was, uh, Mina. I'm sorry. Um, the uh, the two fingered salute. Uh, it made it made me think. It's like, <laughs> is this she covering her eye with two fingers like the Boy Scouts, or is it like it's, a it's the evil cross? eye? It's the evil eye. Yeah, yes, against the that. evil eye. But but what do you do with your hands? Uh, you kind of thrust your fingers out at the person. Two, like the. First it's like the heavy metal devil sign, essentially. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I have to say, I love that bit of humor in the book where she's like, "Now they're giving me extra garlic. I really hate garlic." <laughs> I just was like, I was like, I forgot he can occasionally be funny. So I'm sorry. Continue. Well, no, I just think it's 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 interesting because he he makes he makes like we don't know how good those people are trying to be to him, um, and it, they make fun of it in a lot of the movies. You know, like uh, in the 1931, um, it's straight, and then when Mel Brooks does it, he just makes these people like even funnier than they are in the book. Um, Harker is sort of just an oblivious fool when it comes to all the warnings he's being given and all the help they're trying to suggest to him. And I, I even like that even when Mina is doing her diary in in that area, right, and talking about how 
how it was very helpful to read Harker's journals uh, of it. She says, uh, the people around here are very superstitious. I'm like, that's not superstition anymore. <laughs> that's like, why? That's not, that's that's like, you know, the reason they do all those things. It, it has nothing to do with superstition. That's science, right? That's logic. That's right. wisdom. Um, right. And yeah. uh, so it, it's funny that they, they don't come, they don't come and say, you know, look at how smart all these people are. They just say, they're very nice and they're, you know, the <laughs> Food's good and go get that recipe for Mina. That's that paprika right. is that, great. That's well, right. and yeah, because that's another huge theme is um, that they come back to again and again is modern man can't accept this supernatural stuff. Sure. And so yeah, because Jonathan's starting off being like you know oh they're so quaint oh if mm-hmm. I went to China how far behind would the trains be because they're pretty bad now you know and so. And then he rapidly is brought into reality and they all go through that again and again because it's kind of like us now, you know, it's that natural tendency of, oh, we know so much more than these people did back then. Right. You know, and the book's full of that. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why eventually, you know, he decided to cut Dracula's guest that was the prologue. Mm -hmm. Because if you have the events of Dracula's guest, um, Harker takes a knock right out the gate (laughs) for his skepticism. Yeah. Um, where you know it does, I think you know Dracula's guess is an interesting prologue, but I think it does scupper things, the pacing of the novel and how your characters mm. discover and come to accept what's going on. I mean, it's very interesting if you compare Dracula to um, Salem's Lot, which you know oh, Kings yeah. described that novel as. He said essentially it was a racquetball game where you know my novel was the ball and the wall I was constantly knocking it against was Dracula. But you know, yeah. in that you have a the logical extension of the count being more unchecked that a whole town gets taken over, and it partly gets taken over because no one will damn well believe there's vampires running about the place. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's always the vampire's strength, right? Because he seems so normal. In fact, that's one of the things I loved about the part where, uh, in one of those long council sessions, Van Helsing goes, "Okay, so here's what we know." And when you start mm-hmm. listening, letting him list everything he knows, um, one of the most striking things that gets changed, I think, fairly early in books and other books and things that use the characters are the daylight thing. You know, Dracula does come out in the daylight. Mm. He just doesn't have all the power that he had. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, Mel Brooks version. Uh, <laughs> and they do this, uh, you know, they do this in I, – I, I watched all of True Blood and – uh, that was way before I read the book, right? The the uh, sorry the um, I read Dracula before I read Dracula, which is I just read it this week, right? And the week before, um, I watched all of True Blood, and I'm like, there's a, sure is a lot of mythology, because <laughs> they you know it's five seasons of dra- uh, vampires, right? Okay, and werewolves and fae and yeah. So so one of the ones that shows up is you know uh, it's in the horror of Dracula where. He steals uh, Mina and throws her in uh, a pit that he's dug, and he starts burying her. Um, like, he's going to turn her into a vampire that way, um, oh. or something like that. And that shows up there in, in, in it's in Dracula, and the, and the you know, force-feeding of people, your own blood, and all that, all that secondary stuff is, is in there. It's very interesting that... Uh, there is so much mythology packed into the book, and it, a lot of it gets stripped away. But in the uh, in the Mel Brooks one, 
Um, it's funny. Dracula has a dream, and he wakes up after drinking Mina's or uh, Lucy's blood. He's had so much uh, <laughs> so much blood and all from so many guys, right? And, and so and from her that he's he's feeling great and he imagines himself or he's dreaming that he's in the park (laughs) there's a couple having some chicken he grabs the chicken and he says uh would you like some wine with that and he says i never drink wine (laughs) that line from the 1931 movie and then and he says oh okay (laughs) he drinks the wine it's good he says (laughs) it's very good and then um (laughs) he wakes up oh it was all a dream because um you can't walk in daylight. So uh, the 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 speaking of walking in daylight. So this is really interesting to me. Is why does Dracula go to the zoo? <laughs> to recruit the wolf. To recruit the yes. wolf. I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess. Totally. Why do you go all the way? The, I mean, there's plenty of other animals around. Why he actually go, decided to go all the way there for that particular wolf? Um, I think I think it's not. I think it's not. I think it's so that we can have that conversation between the zookeeper and and Dracula about the wolf's nature. Mm. I think that that's the, the main purpose. The wolf is used purpose. later. I guess. Yeah, he tries he to break the, in. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. The wolf breaks into Lucy's house. He's got to have the wolf to do that work for him. I guess. But totally. Well, what what happens in that conversation is about you know. How it's uh, a tame animal in a certain sense, um, and and the way that Dracula talks to the zookeeper and the way the zookeeper talks to him is not uh, like any other kind of interaction um, in the rest of the novel. I think there's something interesting going on there. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I, I know it's very interesting. And you know, have, if I had read this novel for the third time, I, I think I would get it. <laughs> But, well, I always think there's like a there's a there's a status or symbolic element to it of that in his own country, you know, the wolves are his brothers, right. the children of the night, and uh, you know they they are they are part of the, his his legion of the of darkness. You know, he's coming to England to the centre of the world to make his stamp on it, and what better way is to you know go and free the wolf from London Zoo? You know, this yeah, huge nice. symbol of. Of Victorian society and so-called culture, it's it's a very similar scene to the scene uh, with the the old man in the seaside cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yes, the old sailor. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I, I, again, I, I mean, this book, I I I totally see why it is the classic that people say it is because it has so much going on. And so many parallels between things that you don't necessarily notice when you're reading it, but which can be teased out if you sort of look at it a little more carefully. So what is is the primary purpose of being a vampire? Is it to extend life? Uh, Okay, that's one way to go because that's what... um, I mean, all those conversations with Renfield in uh, the asylum mm-hmm. are, you know, f- sort of about it's. Im- is it about immortality? Because he gets really agitated when it comes to souls, right? 
he's he's like so immortality in the body immortality in the soul um there there are a number of tensions going on there you know the way the say old sailor talks about about uh the tombstones i mean this there's all sorts of really interesting things going on there and i yeah the lies that have been told by exactly, people exactly yeah and, and he's so determined that everything here's the truth here's what's really going on right i and love that guy he he has this line about dragging their tombstone the they're gonna drag <laughs> their tombstones to saint peter the, or whoever it is the last trumpet blows yeah and you know he a, a lot of them aren't even buried in the cemetery they're gonna come up out of the sea right um what about what about um uh, on the HP Lovecraft literary podcast, they talk quite a bit about how funny it is that Dracula doesn't have any servants, so he's doing all the all the cooking and <laughs> yeah. cleaning, and um, and the he's the coach driver, right? He's 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 everybody. He's, he's the doorman. He's mm-hmm. the porter. He's the elevator operator. <laughs> he does everything. Um, why is the house empty like that? Other than the wives, which I do want to talk about. Um, why is the house empty like that? Uh, one of the theories I had that. You know, he he cleaned it out because he sucked everybody dry. Um, and that's one of the reasons he's moving house is because the country's sort of, you know, they're they're on to him. <laughs> they're not they're not getting uh, big prey anymore um, in well, a certain just sense. The babies or whatever. Right. So there's the, the wiggling bag. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah. Ugh. No, that was um, uh, a fun well, scene. And I, well, and I, I just love the way that. That's how Jonathan is introduced to what being a vampire really is. It's the most extreme example of the horror of what's being done. You know, the most helpless of all creatures. Um, I just thought that was just such a a genius move. You couldn't blame it on anyone, you know. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just thinking that it's it's like uh, there's also the stuff about the lights, right? Uh, one of the one of the thing that's it's going on, and it kind of frustrated me that it didn't quite work out in in the timing. They start in basically Walpurgis Nacht, right, and they go right up to Halloween, and oh, they go a little farther. And I'm like, damn it! It should have been exactly Walpurgis Nacht <laughs> and Halloween, right, beginning and ending, but it isn't exactly. The, in fact, Halloween's not even mentioned. Um, so. The on Walpurgis Nacht, right? Uh, was it the coach driver? No, coach driver doesn't say anything. Somebody says, or maybe it's Dracula says about the lights that are seen. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> where treasure is buried. Willow the Wisps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where treasure is buried, and um, I think that's in Dracula's guest as well. Yes, um, they, they, that turns up in it as well with the flickering corpse lights right and then in the theory uh why this is you know dracula's so busy this night is because he's gathering up his funds he's he's gathering up all the local cash uh or caches of gold that is um to go and uh make all those purchases of houses in in the uk Mm. Because they talk about the, how ancient and old the coins are mm. that he right. uses. Mm. In fact, um, uh, remember the devil's his master, and the devil's sending the lights to to fund this mission. Uh, right. 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 Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as for why he doesn't have servants, yeah. How many you know uh, rich people do you know who are served by cows, chickens, and pigs? Uh, um, good point. Good point. Yeah. You, yeah. you wouldn't have your food serving you. No. 
and and you couldn't keep it in there anyway. No. But I mean, again, you'd have to kill them. They wouldn't stay. I mean, uh, again, with the Harker, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink them. Maybe he's full. <laughs> well, yeah. He, well, the thing he's is, he's got Dracula, his own plans. Go ahead. Yeah, Dracula doesn't need blood to survive like most other, you know, uh, pop culture vampires who are just really um, gothy junkies. I mean, your Dracula, you know, feeds on people to, you know, because he can to turn people. You know, it's mm. part of his deal for immortality, but he's that old and that powerful. You know, he doesn't have to just yeah. dine on everybody he meets. And, part, you know, Harker is there to further his, di- you know, literally diabolical plans. He's a, you know, mm. there's, there's, you know, even Lucy, she's fed on because of, you know, the access it's going to give her to London society. Yeah, she's, uh, the other thing I was thinking. They're is- tools. Well, yeah. right. you know, after you know, after you you grow up, you're a little more discri- or at least if when you're not an animal, you're a little more discriminating of what you eat. You know, <laughs> like like Har- uh, um, Harker, he'll eat the chicken that Dracula prepared. Dracula won't eat the chicken, but he he is tempted to eat Harker, right? Right. Um, the um, shaving glass. Shaving right. glass. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, the wives. I want to get to those later, but uh, they're they're into eating Harker too. But um, nobody wants to eat Renfield. <laughs> He's been, you know, eating flies and spiders and birds. Um, he's not grain-fed like Lucy, right? Mm-hmm. You know? But I don't think he, he just doesn't need Renfield. It's very I, clear. I, Renfield is not part of what he's got yeah, in mind. I yeah, mean, it, he could eat him if he wanted. So uh, the other thing that Renfield, of course, reminds me of completely is uh, Renfield is uh, – all the artists in the Call of Cthulhu, right? He's he's the sensitive soul. This is the uh, thing I think that Lovecraft must have taken away from Dracula. He didn't certainly didn't take away all the crosses and the and the uh, host, yeah. right? He took yeah. away the uh, the the Renfield and the and the ship, uh, you know, and the strange happenings in houses here and there. Um, so there's something there's something cool about about that aspect of it, but the 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 yeah I, I like what you're the point you're making Mr. Jamoon about about you know he doesn't have to eat but I also was thinking you know all that cooking and cleaning when he does get to England he does um, you know go out and socialize and is that just to get more recruits because the uh, I don't I don't quite buy the uh, you know Kim Newman thing where he's gonna uh, make the empire his. Oh, come on. I, I like it. I like great. it as an idea, but I don't buy it as, as but that's what Helsing said. Uh, yeah. Well, Van Helsing, I mean, he, so. he, he does. Yeah, but he's not, uh, he's not going to turn it into, uh, well, no, not in the same way, but the yeah, same yeah. thing. There's he's going to expand his empire. So, so I was just thinking like, uh, if it was me and I was Dracula, I wouldn't send one ship with all the boxes. I would send multiple ships. Um, you don't have to be on the same ship with all the boxes. You could send lots of ships. He's got lots of money. Um, maybe he's got maybe he's got a, a finite amount of money. But uh, if you've got fi- it was a funny number too. It was fifty boxes, right? Fifty, 50 boxes. Yeah, not coffins, but fifty boxes of earth or mold. Because um, it's the holy earth. I mean, he's they do have to lie in holy earth, right? Unholy earth. Yeah. Right? No. Well, they their presence 
is a desecration. But remember, he said we like chapels. He needed a place that had a holy place in it. This is part of the perversion that he's doing. Oh, it's like, uh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah. I oh, mean, I, I don't you. know what the power he's is that comes from it, but yeah. Exactly. Uh, no, I think it, it is, is that to use as a power source. It's the desecration yeah. that's you know yeah. going to further his satanic mm. powers. I mean, mm-hmm. I always said, you know, the more I think about it, and so the, the question of Dracula cooking, I yeah. tend to think actually you can probably conjure that food up from with a wave of a claw. It doesn't actually have to, you know, as amusing it is to picture him in an apron, <laughs> you know, I don't think we need to give him extra magical powers. I mean, he still had to. I like to think of killing, catching and killing the chicken and plucking it, frankly. But, but, but it, you know, Harker liked the meal, too. So he's a good mm. cook. right? Yeah, it did have to sustain him. I mean, but um, yeah, I I also don't know that Dracula didn't have to necessarily eat in a way. I mean, because he got younger once he got to London. And I figured that was because he had more and more and more blood. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah when he's out during the day, when Jonathan sees him and almost has a new brainstorm, he is I they he doesn't notice them because he's looking at a very pretty girl, a beautiful girl. And he's so busy looking at her, he doesn't look at anything else around him. And so I figured he was just taking the occasional sip here and there to or, you know, retapping. But he's so much more skilled than someone like Lucy, the blue fur lady, that he he's just able to do it without calling a lot of attention to himself. Speaking yeah. of calling attention, I want to call attention to my my theory as to what blue fur means. Uh, I, I Not think that the kids are cockneys. There's <laughs> <laughs> a blue, blue furry lady. Um, <laughs> she, she took me out of the woods. That's one more example of how the uh, ignorant low classes are stupid and ignored, and also well, yeah, kids. this is not a this is a book where uh, nobody of any importance has a job, right? Uh, <laughs> even the professor doesn't. You know, he seems to be able to take time off whenever he likes. Yes, this is important. Yes, <laughs> um, and Seward, Dr. you know, Seward has a job. He, well, yeah, you know, he, he spends a lot of time with one patient, um, <laughs> so. As they need it, yes. <laughs> I, just, uh, I think, you know, uh, it, we can presume it's beautiful. I think that that makes sense. But blue fur is much more interesting. And and, and, and it, it's not completely wrong. I mean, to sometimes they are depicted as, as, you know, having oh. blue skin. But also, uh, Dracula's powers are not just to turn into a bat and gas. It's also to turn into a wolf, right? Uh, he, yeah, he's a werewolf as well as, uh, as well as a as a dragon. Um, I was gonna say. Well, I would like to say the book doesn't give us anything to go with that for Lucy. Other than the actual sound, blue fur. They're Cockney children who <laughs> can't talk very well. Blue fur guy. I don't know why I feel called to defend these little tykes, but I do. <laughs> you're just like all the other grown-ups uh, in see, the hospital not, who don't understand these children, Jesse. Them. They're you're just looking down them. on them. You're what attacking, can I say? You're, see, you're attacking them because <laughs> you're not taking their perfectly enunciated words <laughs> as they oh, are. Blue for lady. Oh, yes. And may I have another cup of tea? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I do like how free range the kids are, though. 
Man, sure. Every, every kid is out in the woods playing at all hours. Because the parents are all busy working. They don't have that's, time to watch the kids. That's a good point. No helicopter parenting in the 19th no. century. But mm. you can see why that it would happen uh, if if some Dracula was out, out the, or Dracula's uh, ladies are out in the woods um, picking up kids. <laughs> yeah, just okay. Well, actually, the, t- the term blue for lady mm-hmm. is actually, uh, it is a cockney urchin speak for beautiful lady. Oh. And I, can t- I can tell you Yay, definitively you. where uh, Stoker got it from. He got it from Charles Dickens. Oh. <gasps> oh. Yeah. My other favorite. So how would Cockney Thank children you. pronounce blue? It's, it's in... Um, <laughs> <laughs> what book's it in? It's in, I believe, Our Mutual Friend, I think. All right. <laughs> All right. Fine. Thank you. I, I still I like my theory better. I like okay. that my instincts took me to Charles Dickens, though I didn't even know it. I'm one of those sensitive Dickens people, All just right, like see sensitive yeah, to Dracula. No, article no, no on one's that. buying it. I got one really big, um, interesting thing that I noticed, and I don't know if anybody else in the world has ever noticed, but I think it's really interesting. Oops. Hopefully, you guys will think it's really interesting. Um, so uh, there is a Wikipedia entry for Dracula's wives. Um, Are they wives? That's okay. what it's. That's the Wikipedia entry, and it doesn't say wives apparently in the text. I got the sense that they were wives. Maybe it brides was the word instead of. They say um, br- they're, they're, it's, the well, I thought it just said brides. Women. Brides of Dracula. <laughs> brides of Dracula. Brides. Um, brides of Dracula. It's a. The, the Wikipedia, yeah, brides is the word. Brides right? of Dracula. This is a um, a phrase. Even if it's not in the novel, it's a phrase, right? Oh well, okay. And the the, the characters are described that so they're described as sisters, uh, weird sisters, right? Which mm-hmm. is a nice uh, fun idea as well. Um, but they live in his house, right? Um, some I think have argued that at least one of them, or one of them's his wife, and two of them are his daughters. Um, but if they're sisters, that doesn't make a lot of sense unless they're sister wives and daughters. <laughs> and then it's an incestuous Now we're going in a family. whole different religious direction. Well, no, but see, I think that there's something really cool going on in here. So, the, going in the religious direction, um, Dracula breaks one of the rules: you're not supposed to have more than one wife, right, or bride, anyways. And obviously, if he's romancing Lucy and then Mina, um, he is a serial philanderer, right? If if it's <laughs> sexual at all, which I think it, it's pretty hard to argue there ain't no sexuality to it at all. Um, it, it's that's all well and good, right? Um, that whether they're technically wives or not, they live in his house. Um, he. They're conceived of in many of the adaptations as brides, as wives, right? And the novel is itself about marriage in more than one uh, case, right? We've got the two uh, female leads. And there's this really cool scene where, um, where Lucy talks about her suitors. And she says a line something like, if why where is it written or maybe it's not where is it written i wish i could have more than one husband yeah 
Do you remember like that, that part? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the reasons is he's they're pushing all... back against the norms of the day when he's talking about that. Well, I don't think he's pushing back as much as he's doing this thing that uh, is really cool at the time, which is psychology, right? So uh, the 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 sexuality of Dracula um, is oh, it's forbidden, right? All sorts of stuff is forbidden, but. Uh, the um, you know I was saying the the farcical nature of all these men going in and out of out of uh, Lucy's bedroom at all hours of the night and day um, while she lies in bed is kind of like some of them are her suitors uh, some of them are her doctors some of them are her doctor suitors or at least they love her in a certain sense right and that the idea that she she loves them all as well um but she has to choose because you know these are the christian uh, values that we uphold um there dracula he he don't follow those rules right he he will break up marriages he will break up um uh, uh people's lives but more importantly he'll break up marriages and he'll uh interfere so w- one of the things that Harker. So there's a, a whole bunch of weird adaptations with Harker going to Castle Dracula. But one of them that often happens in the other adaptations is they have a picture of of Mina. And that is either uh, the reason that he focuses his attentions on Mina or Lucy. Sometimes there's a photograph of Lucy and Mina. And Dracula picks up on this as he's going through. Uh, he does go through all his correspondence, right? Um, and he talks about both of them in his correspondence. So th- this is maybe why Dracula focuses on them. I was also thinking that Dracula might be just all over England doing it to everybody. <laughs> um, you know, if he's if he's really uh, as powerful as all that, he could maybe be yeah all over England, not I'm just Nina. these two, right? But literally, he he focuses in on these two women, and then. Uh, we have this really weird relationship between uh, the four suitors. It's four, right? Uh, the, who are the four dudes? There's Quince or Quince. Uh, what's his name? Quincy Morris. The most amazing character in the book, Quincy Morris. <laughs> I want to have Winchesters everywhere I go. Let's go, guys. <laughs> he's, he's the most cartoonish character. I feel like in the he's book. probably Texan. Uh, yeah, it feels oh. like a Texan, doesn't he? Um, he does. That's but why he's he's got to be an East Coast elite, is what, what, really. I mean, if he's heading, hanging out in England, he's. It, it, it's it's funny. The 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 audio book has him as a real Texas uh, sort of a twang to his voice. Mm. So it's got, got that bravado to it. His his yeah. character has that bravado, he's even supposed, though he's, he's yeah. Basically, yeah, he talks about his cowboy, uh, his his horse in the pampas getting. Uh, getting drained by by vampire bats right right he's been everywhere he's a a a, guy yeah he's he's a world he's a world adventurer yeah he is he's fun um i love him so he's he's the the manly man but we can't marry him (laughs) then there's she's already in love with somebody else there's well and then there's seward who's the educated man right Mm-hmm. There's just three suitors, right? Uh, well, I want to get into the fourth. Oh, one. I get there's, it. There's yeah. uh, what's the Holmwood author? Arthur. Arthur. Arthur Holmwood. Okay, Arthur, yeah. later Lord 
God right. somebody what is it Godalming Godalming these names are very interesting so who does she choose the one with the title <laughs> she's the already in money. love with him yes but uh, as no. we know based on uh, on psychological studies of women um, they tend to like to marry older men hey have money uh oh <laughs> hey I'm not making stuff I like up here. to just look at what the book tells me <laughs> by I, the way she loves all of these men but the one she chooses is as the one friends uh, okay. as good friends okay yeah they're all good friends but you know she chooses <laughs> to marry only one of them because she can she says she wants to marry them all right well, she feels sorry for them she says she wants to marry them all but she can only choose one so she chooses the one with the title and with money. You have no soul, but fine. Uh, in addition, <laughs> that makes me Renfield. I'm just going to start talking about souls and getting agitated. Okay, we're going to keep going because I, I, I got to get this theory out because it's really no, interesting. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I'm coming back. Why he picks Mina? I'm already writing things in my book. Continue. Okay. <laughs> so uh, then there's the fourth one is uh, uh, the doctor um, for the professor. Um, and the reason I call him a suitor is uh, because um, he his wife is unavailable to him in a, in a normal sense. She's uh, in an insane asylum, which is fun, right? Uh, or at least uh, unable no. to uh, be a wife to him in the normal sense. But he's also a good Catholic boy, so he he's not going to break his vow. But he does. He's the one. Who basically uh, does that farcical stuff where they're going in and out of her bedroom at all hours, giving her intravenous uh, bodily fluids? Um, (laughs) Well, he could just let her die. Either either choice. I'm not the one who wrote the novel, okay? I'm (laughs) just saying, this is actually in the book. And then there's a scene, an astounding scene to me. It's literally in the book. You can look it up. Oh, I know. Where where he has a breakdown they, and laughs about no, it. No, where they go into the tomb, and he's got his candle in his hand, and it spills on her tomb, and it's sperm. Like oh, it literally, Lord. it what? literally, Give no, it literally says break. this. No, this is the sexuality that's in the book. All right, read it to me. Oh, oh, oh. I want to hear the word. Paul can do it because I don't have. I don't. I'm going by memory, but it's. <laughs> no, I've got it here. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, Van, Helsing, go on, go Van Helsing went about his work systematically, holding his candle so they could read the coffin plates, and so that the sperm dropped in white patches, oh, which congealed as they touched the metal. He made assurance of Lucy's coffin. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh. It, it's another chamber with another bed. Right, he's sneaking in there in the middle of the night, and the the other dude's like, I don't think we should be doing this. Right? <laughs> Is I, I'm just asking. Yeah. Sperm whale. That's not where things came from. That Spermaceti, you made sure. from. A hundred percent. Yeah, but you understand that the reason they're it, it's it's I'm not making this. I'm not making Dracula all sexual. It's there. I I'm not saying there isn't a lot of that there, is. but I'm saying that you're. Oh, no, uh, you're you're just you're just too pure to see it. I think. You're, you're like, I like uh, that interpretation. Thank you. Instead of so saying stu- stubborn and uh, I wanna, okay, I you two also, other guys talk about it. I, I I'm looking up point, the 
the origins of the word. I want. I want to <laughs> point out this isn't only with Lucy. This is also with Mina. Okay, right. sperm oil, spermaceti. Right. So I, I suspect it was a Victorian use of the word that didn't have the yeah, uh, yeah, not sexual, sexual connotation. Relief, white, now. waxy, translucent, solid, translucent, solid, obtained from the oil and the head of the sperm whale, used chiefly in cosmetics and candles. <coughs> yes, I, I'm aware of that. I've also read Moby Dick, which is all about sperm and sperm whales, and there are so many scenes <laughs> of of uh, men with hands in sperm, like breaking it up it, it, huh. it, and caressing each other's hands. It's a weird you book. You would man. have to prove to me that that was really commonly used the way you're using it now because you're reading backwards a modern understanding. And I that's am. not... Uh, okay, so... crazy. Jesse, I don't think 19th century readers are going to read that line in and... When they see the word sperm, I don't think they're going to think of male sexual fluids. I, I really he, don't. I, I want I want you to hold that in mind, okay? Think think that that's absolutely possible. And I didn't I didn't expect Dracula. I, I mean, I'm sounding like Eric Rabkin here, who sees sex in everything, yes, right? <laughs> um, but the thing you is, hanging out with him a lot, you have to admit. I I have been, but I, <laughs> clearly, I don't see I don't see it the way he does. But this is so obvious to me in oh. in a couple of ways. One of the things that's it, it's really interesting is that um, this, uh, you know, them giving their bodily fluids all the time to her, her is is weird, right? And they, they think it's weird. Everybody thinks it's weird. But they're all in for it because they all love her. And then what happens to me when Mina's threatened, everybody uh, goes along with her and they're off on that mission. What happens in the end? At the final pages of the book, right, in the last chapter that I just finished listening to right before the end, Mina's child gets the name of all the men, including the, the dead hero as the first name, right? He, amongst the names, it says, uh, is Quince or Quinty or whatever it is, um, and Holmwood and, and uh, Seward, right? This kid gets all of the family's names in that they are all kind of not just helping out but they're all in a certain sense oh. a family right yeah. yeah the kid only gets the last name of the husband harker right but the but they're all uh the father in a certain sense including <laughs> including the doc uh the professor right so there's there, mm. but even if even if you say this is completely innocent bram stoker was just using the conventions of the time you have to account for the fact that everybody knows that Dracula is all about the sexiness, right? All about the sexiness, mm, and we're I'm, not just I talking. We're not just feel we're that's not really true. just talking. Are you telling me you don't think Dracula is supposed to be a sexual being? But more importantly, the novel itself is a sexual sort of novel. All of the repression. That's going on. It literally stated by some of the characters in their diaries, right? Um, and I, I, like, I can't wait till I can do it with my new husband or something. I don't know. I mean, I I know what you're saying. I know that's a common interpretation, <laughs> but I think when we're talking about 
Well, yeah, and he clearly is going after marriage because there's that part which I had marked and I finally quit marking it, but um, where he's talking to Mina and saying, I'm coming after you because this is the way I can get everybody, right, before he makes her drink the blood. Yep. But he's saying, this is because when I call you, then you can come. This is, again, the perversion of the feeding Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he doesn't realize is that he's also asked her in so then she can, you know, cooperate as much as she can and go, oh, I know how we can track him down. But um, I think there is, of course, you can't deny a lot of that stuff. But I think a lot of that is us reading backwards again. Have you read Carmilla? Yes, I have. And there is no reading backward into that. That is I was reading that going, holy crap. But in this book, I don't think – I think what – I think people like to see in that what they so want to see. see in. Well, uh, but even if even if that's the – even if you think that Stoker didn't put it in there intentionally, I would say the success of the book is in part because even if it – like, it's possible. I think it's this, this theory of mine that sometimes every once in a while even a bad writer writes a good story – just by accident. They, they trip <laughs> over themselves and accidentally put certain things in the right order, and it comes off as super resonating. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of artists will even admit that they don't know how something became so popular. Um, and I think what they do is they're... T- so a lot of people say how repressed the, the Victorians are. I think that that's... Pro- I, I, I'm talking to Mr. Jamoon about this. I'm pretty sure that that's not... That's sort of not true, right, Mr. Jimmy? Um, <clears throat> it was a golden age of brothels and hookers. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. Right, and um, who's going there? A lot there? of criminologists have written it's interesting that in Victorian England, because prostitution was so rife, there were actually surprisingly low numbers of sexual crimes against women, but there was mm. far higher rates of sexual crimes against children. Yikes. Mm. All those unsupervised kids too. Um, uh, part of part of that, uh, the, you know, the leading off into the woods thing. That's that's some of the creepiest stuff in the book, right? I mean, the, those kids are are being are are a victim of the fact that the society doesn't worry about the kids as much as mm-hmm. they do today. But they're also a victim of somebody who. They, you know, the tyranny of be- beautifulness. If if the blue fur lay, if the blue fur theory doesn't hold up, then the bl- beautiful theory has to hold up. That they go off with this beautiful lady and they like spending time with her. Well, it's when they hear Stoker's breaking a prime like taboo in fiction, and that is, you know, even today, if you turn in a script, you know, to Hollywood and you yep. kill a kid in it, they all go, <sighs> "Are you sure about that?" Yeah, yeah. it's an instant turnoff. It's it's. Uh, you know, where right. Stoker's doing it in supposedly a lot more repressed age. I don't think it's very it, repressed at all. No, that's no, what I'm and it's still, it's still actually, it's very shocking. I mean, I remember when I first read Dracula, or rather, I should say, I read a version of it. There was a rather nice paperback, a comic book version that was very faithfully done in the mid 70s that a, a friend of mine acquired and I borrowed for as long as I possibly could. Is that the Marvel but version? Uh, no, it's not the Marvel version. It was like an independently produced one. Yeah. Um, 
by a lot of Marvel art, admittedly, artists. But um, in that, we know when they have this scene where, where Lucy, you know, the, the blue for lady is abducting children. That re- you know, really scared me because you're like, hey, kids aren't supposed to die. No. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it was kind of genuinely shocking that it's kind of, wow, that's... And it's, I think it's still, it still is like that because, you know, we used to vampires being glammed up and being... You know, kind of, oh, yeah, the monsters are a bit misunderstood, but they're quite sexy, aren't they? You know, you'd like one right. to come in your window. And he's going, yeah, you want one to come and rough your kids? Uh, leave them dead in a ditch? Mm, maybe no, not. Maybe no. not. That, that's still quite horrifying. Definitely. I, 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 I was surprised. I was surprised how uh, sexually charged, not just the scenes with, uh, you know, the staking of every... Uh, Every person were, but the um, just even just all those. Bl- How many times did they give blood? Was it each of them gave blood once uh, for a week? It was. It was everybody got a turn, right? It's sitting yeah, it's in all a room four of them with their with their uh, you know lying on the bed next to the lady, um, giving giving the blood, and then the next guy comes in. It it, it is. It, it, but they wouldn't have thought of it the way you're thinking of it. I, completely disagree i i don't think great grandma and great grandpa were as chaste as you seem to well, i'm not saying that they're chaste i'm just saying in this it was actually more of a scientific technological novelty uh, it is a, that it they is a were doing to save her it's life surprising they and, didn't kill her and it is brought up in terms of like you know blood. arthur saying well i gave her my blood and now we're married and that's why actually seward is breaking down da- i mean um uh van helsing has that hysterical fit afterwards because he can hardly hold it together because he's thinking, oh, what I know that he doesn't know and we must never tell him, though, wait, two pages, I'm going to tell him, right. um, <laughs> is that all four of us have done that. So we're it's like we're all married to her. But I felt like the reason he was having this hysterical fit is because that's the first time it had really struck him like that, you know, and everything is crashing in on him. Um, I just feel like uh, I'm not saying that there isn't the, – there's obviously – sexual stuff going on charging going on like when lucy charging, is calling yes, arthur charging. going going arthur come to me my husband or van helsing standing there going oh she's so beautiful so there's this aura and we see it with jonathan harker of course when he's like oh well i i hope mina doesn't read this because you know i didn't want it i dreaded it right but i kind of did mm. want it so it is that danger and that sexual charging of everything but i think to carry it a lot further with all the you know the sperm, the um, the bodily fluids, and everything. I think is taking. They it are literally level bodily they, fluids. I'm not that making they, that well, up. Well, fluids. Yes, blood is a fluid. So is yeah. water. And, you know, Lucy the, feels like she's drowning. Life, she, right? That's so, like a baptismal yeah. thing, right? You yeah. can drown in water. It's a fluid. So, yeah. but I'm just saying, I think you're investing it right now with something backwards that takes it a further. <laughs> way than they I, well I, you know what i've already said it never mind you guys can go on and you can all agree with him or disagree with him i have I, no I, we haven't heard basis. from paul in a while what's what's going on with paul I, I'm, I'm i'm just watching this ping pong match here and uh <laughs> in, 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 in fascination i i i'm more on uh julie's side than on yours i'm sorry to say jesse i think you're taking there, there are definitely Plenty of sexual overtones in Dracula. This is a Victorian novel. We see that, but I think you're taking some of some of the imagery to places that the author and readers of the time wouldn't intend. Now, 
now now as to say with modern fresh eyes and with a modern sensibility i can see why your modern perspective might invest the my invest things like dripping dripping wax on a tomb with sexual let me, potency let me ask you this do you think that they could have used electric lanterns in fact they do use electric lanterns in other chapters right so th the thing is is dr even if it was an accident and Bram Stoker didn't intend it, it's there. Though the words are in the book, I didn't. Even if you're saying I'm reading into it, that's still in the book. But, and but, I, I but think the choice of the choice of words is is not is not. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean the word sperm. I, I mean, a Victorian wouldn't think dripping sperm and would not think sex. Is what I'm saying. What and do you think, think, Mr. Jimin? I haven't heard uh, your. Diagnosis. I'm looking for somebody else to agree with you. And I'm looking for I'm looking for our Dr. Van Helsing to uh, to diagnose <laughs> diagnose. Well, I think the in the idea of you know it, the 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 coffin being another bed and these, I think that it, it you know the the staking of Lucy is a deliberate mirror of earlier scenes. Uh, ironically, that on both cases, they're trying to save her. Yeah. Um, However, I think the thing with kind of um, stakes for Dracula is stakes in vampire fiction become like totemic magic items that, you know what I mean, you need a wooden pointy stick and right, that right. will cause him to go poof and go into dust. And it's something magic about having a wooden stick. Uh, it's more basic here and you know, it's harking back to the proper folklore that uh, Stoker had studied. And this is why the Count himself isn't staked at the end. Not in the right. traditional way you th expect. The violence, as they call no. it. No, I mean you know basically the you know a stake through the heart, beheading a vampire, burning it. What you're doing is destroying the body, so the evil demon has nothing more to work with. You when you're staking it, you're pinning it down, so it ain't gonna get up again. <laughs> Which and, is and you know garlic, right? Yeah, well, the, the head cutting off. It's ultra violence. Mm. Yeah, well, the garlic's, you know, traditional was a traditional, you know, garlic is a powerful natural antiseptic. It was a, it was a way to treat the disease. Right. Again, it's nothing magic in the garlic. It's kind of, it's, it's folk medicine. Um, so, there, I mean, I think the thing kind of, because stakes now have become this symbol in vampire fiction, you, it's, when you go to the, the staking of Lucy, you see it as this kind of, um, you know, you, you know, Freud falls off the shelf and flips open about phallic objects, and oh, it's like a, it's like a gang rape, and it's kind of, yeah, you can read it like that, and it's fun to read like that, but that isn't the intention here at all. I think it's, it is providing a dark mirror to the, you know, the the, the three suitors trying to save her, and again, they're, they're saving her again, but just in a in a different and more horrible way. Very nicely negotiated. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, what, one of the things that I liked, and I think I noticed this, I've read this book at least 10 times from the time I was a teenager on. Wow. I've always been fascinated with, I just love it. And only in the last few years, because I've learned to read a little differently, um, did I pick it up and go, oh my gosh, there's so many layers. No wonder I loved it. I just didn't know enough to think about what I loved, right? And um, one of the things that strikes me, which is totally off what you're talking about, is the fact that they kill Lucy to restore her to her true self and give her peace. Mm -hmm. So her Save mortal her soul. soul is saved. Right. Mm -hmm. And when 
and this is how good Mina is, who is, I feel like if you were going to call this something else, it should be Dracula versus Mina because she is like amazing. Um, but mm-hmm. she is the one who says, do not forget. Yes, you're trying to kill him. And yes, you're trying to save the world. But he himself has this value that have mercy. Killing him is a mercy. And they're all like, oh, my gosh, no, I can't even think of it that way. But at the very end of the book, it is a mercy. And who is it who says, you know, I'm so glad that what I saw was this right before his body crumpled, the glance of peace on his face. Mm-hmm. And it defeats it, all the sequels. But it, it well, it's totally it's totally um, in keeping with the idea that he is he's perverted in 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 everything that Helsing says about his history, that he was he was a great man. He was a good man. Right. He was right. A, a wise man. And then. Oh, he he did the wrong move, and now he's trapped, and right. he, everything that is good became evil. Right, and so they're restoring him to what he should have been. I mean, in that sense, it's, it's Mina who says it. I shall be glad as long as I live that even in that moment of final dissolution, there was in the face a look of peace, such as I could never never could have imagined might have rested there. Um, and I just. It's one of those things that I never noticed until maybe like the second to last time I read it. It's in not, almost none of the adaptations. Uh, well, no, because, yeah, he's the evil finish, monster but... and you've killed him. And that's what they're doing. They're killing an evil monster. But this idea that he can actually be restored to himself, too. But um, uh, Yeah, it's also it's what's so good about it is that is is that it it gives the novel a closure. So. Um, I believe right. Stoker's, he's not coming back. No, Stoker's great grandson or some, somebody wrote a book, co-wrote a book, the sequel. Right, just came out mm-hmm. years ago. I'm like, I have no interest in reading it. Um, not just because you know it's a a book written by a great grandkid has no no extra knowledge. Maybe maybe does. Maybe got a book or something that Stoker wrote. But even more importantly, um, it, we see this with characters all the time in reading the or going through the 50 issues or whatever it is of Tomb of Dracula. Um, Dracula can't be the villain the whole time because if he is, um, then the story sort of breaks down, right? Um, it, he, it's it's a book called Dracula. Uh, that is the Tomb of Dracula is a, is a comic book yeah. called Dracula, and he has to fight other other guys right so some sometimes they're worse so sometimes there's a bunch uh. of adventurers who are just like our characters here you know some guy in a wheelchair or a young woman who wants to get married you know that's sort of, you know, a, a bookish young man or whatever the group is and the first splash page will say how do we re-resurrect dracula to help us fight this new threat right so in all of the sequel movies that come out um you have to have him be uh, a baddie, but you can't make him completely bad because. So what? What I what I think is so good about this book is it does it is a complete. Um, it's almost it's got all the symmetry that we like right with the three brides, um, mm. of Dracula or the women in his house, anyways, and the the three suitors at, uh, in England, and it starts in Transylvania and it ends in Transylvania, right. And I think that's even commented on. And the book is so meta. One of the things that we didn't actually mention very much is that it's very uh, modern in all the 
you know, the transcripts back and forth. Yeah, it's epistolary. The epistolary mm. elements and you know, the newspaper cuttings and all the found books. footage. The found, it is a oh, found yeah. footage book, yeah. right? Um, I, I, I was thinking that if you had a, if you want to do a modern Draki, you could have it with Facebook posts and tweets. <laughs> yeah, I'm sh- uh, actually, you know, I the first yeah. version of Dracula that I read as a novel was a book called Fangland, which is not a great, great book, but it's interesting. It is the plot of Dr- Dracula set in I don't know the 90s or something, and uh, it's basically it was written by a guy who used to work for 60 Minutes, um, and it's about a guy who basically works for 60 Minutes and he goes to uh, Transylvania to find out about this this famous this rich guy and and then he comes to New York and does you know it's it's the plot of Dracula just set in the modern period. Um, and it's got it's got this sense that uh, yeah it's 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 working from a, another material but this book is complete it is uh, I mean one of the things I was thinking about is nobody's put out the 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 box set you know where you open up the box and each page is loose in there and maybe oh. some of them are journals or right and and we don't actually have the cylinders. Actually, that isn't how the book actually is either, because Mina, what she doing the whole book is typing, right? Well, it says she at the was, beginning how these papers have been right. placed in sequence yep. will be made clear in the reading of them. Right, and she even says he didn't miss a trick. That, when she's not driving the carriage at the end or mm-hmm. uh, holding her pistol at the ready, right? <laughs> she's saying how great this portable typewriter is. Yes. Well. <laughs> right? well. To, to bring it back to the role-playing game for a second, there is a supplement to uh, the Dracula files called the Hawkins Papers, and the physical papers are all actually loose. Oh, nice. Uh, so, but yeah, have... Yeah, yeah. You have that tactile feel. I mean, the, actual, the Dracula Unredacted book is a physical book, but the Hawkins Papers, which are more MI5 stuff around the thing are all mm, loose transcripts mm-hmm. and things you can physically hold and give to you. Here, here, players, here's your, this is what you found. You found this telegram. You know, it's, it's, this is actually what the whole HP Lovecraft literary, uh, no, it's not, uh, H on HP Lovecraft literary, the that, historical I society, society right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they, right, their props, stuff. their props come straight out of this, right? It, right. Is, that it's a newspaper clipping. It's, it's uh, Asenath Waste library card, right? It's it's all the the tangible stuff that makes it all the more real. But if you were to have a trunk that you open up, you know, in some one of these, you know, online companies where you get stuff in the mail every month or whatever that, you know, all of Daredevil's <laughs> yeah. junk or whatever it is, um, it wouldn't make any sense because so much of the dialogue or so much of the actual text is about the writing of this text that it, you would say, I'm now transcribing uh, Dr. Seward's journal or uh, yeah. wax cylinder, yeah. and you're holding the wax cylinder, and then you read the pa- piece of paper. Well, if she's transcribing, where's the actual document, right? Well, he, so, of course, those got burned. Dracula <laughs> threw them in the fire. Right, so... That's that's what I'm saying is that's why we don't have that. Yeah, it was yeah. the latest tech. Have you guys um, ever looked at that book called S by J.J. Abrams? Yeah, I was wondering thinking about that. That has a bunch of stuff in there, right? Yeah, I have one. How is the book? Because I, I thought about it 
after thinking about this book during the week. Well, actually, and, and what I wound up having to do is go through and number everything and put it on a post-it, what number was where, so that, um, or I guess I alphabetized it, so that I could keep track of um, where everything went for when it fell out of the book. Because there's pieces, there's postcards and typed things and copies of stuff, scans of things. And um, it's an interesting book. And I actually had thought recently maybe I should reread it because the actual story is called The Ship of Theseus, of course, and it's the book. Mm-hmm. And then um, there are two people who keep finding it on the shelf and writing each other notes in the margins. Right. And the problem is, is they've gone through the book like three times, so everything is in different colors. So you have to know what color is the first conversation, which is the second, which is the third. So the book itself is one story, and their story is a second story. And they do – the essence of what the stories mean ties together at the end. And it was an interesting experience, but you couldn't really absorb the book the way you could, maybe, because you were trying to keep track of everything. Mm. But you wouldn't say this is a book like Dracula. It's going to sit uh, sit uh, no, no, on not everybody's bookshelf for it's 100 a years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a novelty. It's too bad. I know. I keep it for that reason. And maybe if I reread it, I'd feel differently. But No, no. I think, every, yeah. I, I think that this is why, you know, you have so much... So like there's plays coming out almost immediately. There's rip off movies and and a thousand other you know adaptations. And uh, I mean uh, there was literally so much out there. I could not get. Usually I can get it all done. I could not get even <laughs> close to a third of it done. I would say. And I I worked my day. I was I was at the gym watching Dracula. You know. <laughs> Run for your life, Dracula's behind you. <laughs> That's good. That's motivating. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is that, yeah, this book, um, I think because it's gone so far beyond the original work into our culture, mm-hmm. people, of course, pick it up without ever having read the original and just keep going with it because it has legs. It but then you come back and read it and go, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I mean, to me, it's like um, and take this in the right context, but it's like Lord of the Rings. You know, you keep going back to it, and you find something else there that speaks to you. And the and like Lord of the Rings, um, the the interesting thing about Dracula is that I mean, they're they're just like Lord, before Lord of the Rings, there were other fantasy novels of various mm-hmm. of various sorts. Before Dracula, there were other other uh, vampire novels we mentioned camilla we mentioned there's a bunch of others in the 19th century but after dracula just like after lord of the rings the template everyone defaults to when you think vampire you Mm -hmm. think dracula when you Mm -hmm. think fantasy you think lord of the rings and everything is either a adaptation a distillation or a reaction actually trying to get past dracula and it's almost impossible because dracula is just so much yeah, he a part large, of the canon. He? Yeah. He, he looms very large and and yet uh there was a line I think when I was at the gym watching the 1931 one and we haven't touched on this but or maybe we did in the in the pre-podcast stuff. Um what if Dracula doesn't exist in the book? What if uh, what if I mean one of the things that happens, right, is that Harker's I mean there's so many themes that we didn't Oh, the brainstorm idea. Well, no, well for for example, just insanity in this book. There's a lot of insanity. There's a there's a guy who's insane. Harker goes in he ends up in a mental institution of a certain kind at a certain point in the book, right? Um he uh, has dreams that uh, he records as um, 
dreams, even though they're not, right? <laughs> um, the people say, I feel like I'm going crazy. You, you pointed out yourself, Julie, that uh, that um, Van Helsing has a little conniption there. Uh, yeah, a bit um, of hysterical reaction. Well, that's a, that, that, I looked it up because I think it's mentioned in the book, Conniption. Or oh, maybe yeah. it's in maybe okay. it's in one of the movies. Um, and yeah, it's like a hissy fit is another word mm-hmm. for it, right? Um, it's a male version of uh, the disease that women were always having in the nineteenth <laughs> century, right? They don't like being in their corsets or whatever. Yeah, right. Say. I can't but, breathe. That's right. So there's there's uh there's a lot of insanity in the book and one of the things is you know the mirror thing so dracula doesn't show up in mirrors um and i was thinking if you look at the book without dracula in it and you just look at what people are doing it's about disease right it's about marriage it's about disease and marriage and traveling right well yeah but that's a kind of disease too right like um sanity well insanity right insanity sanity might be a disease too (laughs) i don't know (laughs) but uh if if you look at like just sort of the um the the travel the sort of it becomes a mundane book without dracula and yet dracula we never have his point of view it's always through someone else's point of view and the and the fact that there is kind of a hysteria with regard to, you know, the way Van Helsing is very reluctant to say what he he's thinking. Um, and then when he does say, you know, people are like, are you sure we should be doing this? Um, I can't believe what's happening. Um, there is almost a hysterical element to it. Well, it's also a book of secrets, and at various times they have to remind each other, oh no, we shouldn't have said Mina wasn't going to do this, let's have no secrets from each other. If we right, start having right. secrets, we've got a problem. And so, who's the most secretive person in the world? Dracula is not sharing power with anyone, and to share your secrets and open up is to become vulnerable. And and, and that's why they don't want to do it. And when, you know, yeah, and that ahead. ties right into the fact that both Seward and Dracula read uh read mail and well read writing right. without without permission whereas harker says hey um you need to read my diary <laughs> right well and seward's like i don't want you to hear this and mina's going but see if we don't know everything we don't know what's important and he's finally like okay i'm gonna let you know my innermost thoughts right and that's part of the you know and that actually draws them all kind of, closer together right that's yeah. why that's why right. even helsing goes on and on about how uh how such a great person she is, mm-hmm. right? She's got the brain of a man. <laughs> well, that's the biggest compliment you could ever give to her. No, I totally agree. She's amazing. Okay, no, we, we still have Jim. <laughs> He's just quiet. <laughs> He's brooding. Oh, sorry. Okay, good. I was worried for a second, Mister Jim. Yes, Thoughts? I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 about the about the invisibility. I mean. Yeah. Um, this is this is one of the things that filmmakers um, down the years have cursed Bram Stoker for yeah. <laughs> for saying that vampires don't cast shadows or reflections, and for a director's cast, they don't cast shadows, really. I mean, uh, Murnau in the first unofficial Dracula adaptation, Nosferatu, just went, "Oh well, sod that. I don't care." He right. looks great in silhouette yeah. going up the stairs, just seeing his shadow. Oh yes, yes. The shadow. 
And most other filmmakers end up fudging it because uh, it is kind of, oh, as you said, absolute pain to take out the reflections and shadows. Um, the 1931 movie, Slazda, and a few others do have the famous scene with the, uh, with the mirror. Uh, it's, it's a cigar box or in the 31 track, you know, where Van Helsen checks. You know, yep, no reflection. Yep, at least for a steak. <laughs> <laughs> it's him for sure. Uh, but it's interesting. No, no one really ever sort of thinks about why that is. Yeah. Um, the, the only, I think, the only... F- place where i found it directly addressed is a hammer movie which isn't actually one of their dracula ones it's one of their karnstein uh, ah. in one of their karnstein loose trilogy and i believe it's the um incredibly um classy lust for a vampire <laughs> where um the typical mm. rakish hellfire club attending young lord resurrects uh carmilla mikala uh, whatever oh. anagram she's using uh, who was his ancient ancestor, and she turns him into a vampire, and there's this really sort of very sort of, you know, almost yeah. colourfully psychedelic gothic scene of where, you know, she's draped over him saying, oh, see, and there's a big full-length gold, you know, mirror with a big gilt edge frame, and his, and his reflection vanishes. And she says, you know, we don't have reflections because we don't have souls. Our souls, our bodies walk the earth, but our souls still walk in hell. Mm-hmm. And, and it's this, yeah. it is a, yeah. a synonym for a soul, right? Yeah. Well, it's also it's the idea as well. It's kind of you know, you know, uh, a mirror is a reflection of your sh- of your soul. Mm. Uh, if you don't, if you, yeah, if you have no soul, you're not actually part of the world, and mm. so you, you won't mm-hmm. cast a shadow or cast a reflection. Which I think that's a really, really fascinating kind of idea that. Uh, I mean, there's, al- there's always a thing that's also always fudged in vampire fiction. You know, we all know they come out the grave. Why isn't the big holes, you know, in cemeteries where they're, you know, clawing their way out to and fro? Um, <laughs> and, but it's the idea, you know, kind of you get it in actually old folklore that, you know, it was that, you know, Stoker had read up on the idea that the, the vampire, you know, assumes a gaseous form. Its actual body never leaves the coffin. It always just sits there like, you know, like, Harker discovers the count like this fat beached leech mm. in its mm-hmm. box and the dracula that's walking around is this kind of is essentially like this evil spirit it's you know kind of a, a ghost but it's you know it's powerful enough to be corporeal but that's why there's no shadow and no mirrors because there are two things that can't be fooled by the vampire's glamour uh, I, I want to point out again another reason to watch uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It is is what is done with the shadows and the mirrors in that one is um, uh, the very first time it's uh, it's actually um, not Harker who goes to uh, Transylvania it's um, Renfield yeah, they, they do that in Bram Stoker's Dracula too Renfield was basically Harker's associate right. and went uh, first and went they're yeah. kind of twins right it's it's it, they're funny characters. So uh, Renfield shows up and knocks on the door. The door opens and Dracula's at the top of the staircase, just like in the 1931 movie, which it mostly is uh, satirizing, mocking, playing with. Mm-hmm. It also does a lot of imagery from uh, horror of Dracula, the Hammer uh, Cushing Lee version. But um, he's at the top of the stairs. There, halfway down the stairs, there's the uh, the giant cobweb that is in the 1931 as well. And he comes down the stairs, passes through the cobweb, right? And he's, mm. welcome to my house. Enter freely and over your... Right, all that. And then he 
just like in the 1931, he carries his his uh, suitcase up the stairs, uh, but he slips and falls, and <laughs> he falls down the stairs in a very Leslie Nielsen comedic fashion. And then he says, uh, Renfield says, are you all right? And he says, I'm fine. <laughs> and then you see a shadow going back up the stairs with like an aching back, <laughs> limping up the stairs. And then um, uh, whenever the shadow is uh, prominently featured on the wall, like when they're there, uh, he's, you know, he's about to suck on some lady. Um, the shadow is like a lot ruder than he is. Like he's basically the shadow's humping the lady uh, instead of oh. or whatever. And he says, "Stop that!" And he says to his shadow. And then they have a dance sequence where there's a uh, instead of a tiny little cigar box mirror, the entire house gets to, you know the entire ball gets to see Dracula dancing with uh, Mina or Lucy, and um, she they're doing like. You know, spins and she's up in the air and he's holding her by her arm and a leg and spinning her in circles. <laughs> Everybody's looking at the mirror and like it's just her spinning, right? Oh, uh, and up yeah, there. Yeah. That reminds me of a scene from the bad movie Van Helsing, where oh, yeah, uh, that's a bad. I couldn't even I couldn't even get <laughs> ten minutes into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're at one point um, the the female male, main character has been brought to this ball and she's dancing and she looks at the mirrors and she's, the, I mean, this room is full of dancers and she, and looks at the mirrors and she's the only one. And she realizes, Oh crap. I'm the, <laughs> they're all vampires. And then of course, um, Hugh Jackman shows up to save the day. Oh, I, I couldn't even get 10 minutes into it. Yeah. It's not good. I think we're pretty close to done. Any closing thoughts? I Take one a bite thing. at Dracula. Go ahead, Julie. I, um, I had one thing, which is that um, this book, it's funny because it's, uh, it is Victorian and it's got all these things, but it's so economically written. So it's not going off on all these other real tangents like, you know, Charles Dickens, who I love, does. But it's got some of the most mo- uh, like movie direction type descriptions in it ever. Mm-hmm. And so you could also see why it got picked up by people who went, oh, here, okay, read this page and make it look like that. So mm-hmm. there's one point where they're going to go into the house, which is one of the amazing scenes that I'm imagining doesn't make it into movies much because it seems so new to me every time I read it where they're all like, we're going in and we're getting him at his coffins or his boxes of earth. And so they've left Mina, tragically. And they're like, um, the light from the tiny lamps fell in all sorts of odd forms as the rays crossed each other or the opacity of our bodies through great shadows. And then a minute later, the whole place was thick with dust. The floor was seemingly inches deep except where there were recent footsteps in which, on holding down my lamp, I could see marks of hobnails where the dust was caked. The walls were fluffy and heavy with dust, and in the corners were masses of spiders' webs whereon the dust had gathered till they looked like old tattered rags as the weight had worn them partly down. And, and so, I mean, it's like you're there. You're By the time they get to where these boxes are, you're totally creeped out just like they are. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say the writing is um, it's pretty darn quite good for 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 uh, you know it's it's very easy to read it's it's incredibly dense with symbolism and layers of layers and layers of themes but it's it's relatively short I mean uh, fourteen mm-hmm. hours I think right yeah yeah mine's my book's like three hundred and sixty mm. pages so it's powerful 
Yeah, it's it's surprisingly easy to read for um, such an old book. So, yeah. any anybody else? Well, the thing is, that when you go back to Dracula, I think it's a good point because it is a surprisingly modern novel. Um, but it's also interesting to note when it Dracula came out, it was actually set slightly in the future, so it does actually make it uh, just just by the skin of its teeth a science fiction novel as well. Uh, how, how, how far uh, in the future? Yeah, where, yeah it's where only do you like, get it's that? Like, it's like a couple of years in the future. Oh, okay. Just slightly, but um, I think it's interesting. You've got like you know when I first read Dracula, Doctor Seuss taking audio notes mm-hmm. on a phonograph. Cool. Yeah. It was a new tech. Very so, expensive. Know, I, I mean, it's something I, I've all been fascinated with since I read a book called um, Inventing the Victorians by Dr. Matthew Street, which, uh, you know, explodes all these myths we have about Victorian society that we've got from popular adaptations of Dracula, among many others, that they were stuffy, repressed, and it was, mm. all, you know. And, you know, instead he presents this view of, us, you know, the Victorians saw themselves as being an exciting go-ahead civilization. You know, in, in Douglas Adams's phrase, and when you read Dracula with its, you know, phonographs and you know, new theories, um, and you know, kind of, there's even like you know, a character Kate Reed who was like, you know, going to be a new woman character, kind of, you know, the progen, the fourth, you know, a predecessor of the feminist movements who were around in Victorian society. Women go, well, no, I'm not staying here. I'm going to go out and have a job. Mm. It's kind of you see, kind of, it is. Dracula is a novel that really shows kind of, you know, the Victorians were a go ahead looking forward society and not, and not this stuffy, you know, take three years to describe the wallpaper as you go down the <laughs> stairs, so, you know, <laughs> sort of people. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Paul, you got anything? Um, that, that wrote, this reminds me of jumping off of Jim, the, the, uh, canceled uh, Dracula series with uh, Jonathan Rees Myers as Dracula and he comes to London and as, as you were saying with the Victorians being a go-ahead inventive and aggressive he's an inventor so he, I mean he's all about trying to push the boundaries of technology and science and yeah and I watched the first episode and it was like it's, it's it was, not good but it's, it's terrible it's, it was he I mean it was like I'm Tesla and I'm Dracula <laughs> well yeah but but that but that gets into that it breaks that stereotype that Jim was talking about. That yeah, the Victorians are repressed, conservative, not looking forward to anything. That's not the truth. The Victorians were, I mean, the, the Victorians were the society that decided to play the great game. That's not exactly sitting at home <laughs> drinking tea. Mm. Oh, they're well, they were like, yeah, yeah, they were like us. I mean, they were a mass of contradictions. There you go. Yeah. So you could capture the general flow of yes, they were go ahead and this and that, but they still had Queen Victoria who wanted all the table legs to be covered. So how do you reconcile <laughs> all that? And that's what shows up in in all these kind of books and everything. And that's what makes it interesting. And I'm I'm so glad you mentioned uh, Jim that inventing the Victorians. I want to read that now. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Oh, did we lose somebody? Nope. No? Nope. Oh, nope. Okay. Um, I also want to point out um, another reason to enjoy Dracula Dead and Loving It. Um, there, there's favorite movie. movie. It's it's not a good movie. It's just a funny movie, right? It's not a good movie. Uh, I, I would say the same thing about um, 
about the original uh, Young Frankenstein. It's not a good movie. It's a funny movie. I really enjoy I watching. love it. I love it, too. But I, you don't watch it because it's, um, you know, it's it gives you the gravitas of what movies can do. It's Mel Brooks being hilarious. So one of the things that's in, in Dracula Dead and Loving It that people get grumpy about in another movie, Young, Dra- Young Frankenstein, um, is there's the scene in Young Frankenstein where uh, the repressed wife, uh, uh, sexually repressed wife, uh, or fiancé, fiance, right, right. Um, gets, uh, quote-unquote, raped. I don't know if that's the word for it. Uh, probably Ravished. It's no word. Ravished. Ravished. Well, ra- <laughs> but see, ravished is, yeah. Anyways, uh, Frankenstein... Uh, the that's the romance novel term. The creature um, has sex with her. And she's not into it at first, but then she starts singing the songs, right? <laughs> because he, he would have to have an enormous schwanstucker. Schwanstucker. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> um, and um, in uh, Dracula, Dead and Loving It, the same thing happens, except it's reversed. Uh, Renfield's lying in bed, and the two, uh, two of the brides of Dracula come in. Um, and they're uh, on those those dollies that you know they use to pull, so it looks like they float across the floor, right? And they're making sexy movements and smiling, big uh, breasts, not very well concealed. And they're uh, on the end of the bed, sort of straddling the bed. And he says, "What are you doing to the furniture?" <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they hop onto the bed, and he says, "I'm." I'm, I'm, oh, I'm going to be married. And um, they start, stop straddling my leg. And then he stops saying stop, and he starts saying, ravish me, ravish me. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts singing in the same way. And then Dracula is walking by, and he looks over, and he just keeps walking. And then he comes, pops his head back, and what are you doing? It's great. It's, Leslie Nielsen is hilarious. Oh, I forgot he was, yeah, I remember seeing the posters for that. Hilarious.